that is what I'm talking about, yeah. about an environment where we teach this innate disparagement. But you need someone to be like, you know what? I got the power and I'm willing to wield that power because I'm going to invest in you as an individual. And it was right then, right yeah. then I said that, that is what I'm talking about, the profession. Uh -huh. That is when we start to talk about disparagement and that is the fix. <laughs> Hey guys, it's Dr. Carlo Riolo. I'm just going to do a quick intro uh, to these next several segments uh, of our podcast. Um, if you go to pawhealth.net slash podcast, uh, that's P-A-W-C-A-S-T. Uh, but if you go to the website, um, we actually have both the video and the audio content there for um, sort of viewing and listening. Uh, but below that on the website, we actually will start to upload uh, PDFs that would be applicable to any type of content that we're discussing. So these first several series of videos is actually going to be focusing on um, the Paw Health Network industry overview. Um, and this is basically, again, you can have the PDF for download, uh, but it has uh, all of the talking points that we're going to use uh, initially in the, the center of our industry overview for problems that we have in the profession. Um, but then as we start to expand out on our podcast content, uh, the outer portions of that industry overview, uh, which are these portions in blue, actually are solutions and uh, talking points on ways in which we can actually improve the profession. Um, so again, if you go to uh, pawhealth.net slash podcast, uh, you'll actually be able to uh, download and follow along in these next several segments. Um, the three main parts that we're talking about um, in the center of the industry overview is actually for culture, talent, and service. Uh, those are some of the, the three biggest problems we currently have in the profession um, and has been the focus of our strategic plan for the last several years. Um, but again, if you um, download the PDF and follow along, these next several uh, video segments and audio segments uh, for the podcast are actually going to be on the culture, talent, and service. So stay tuned. When we start to talk about you know the broken hierarchy, mm -hmm. is that that's exactly what we're talking about? Is there's there's so much weighted upon every single member of the team that you have to value every member of the team. Yeah, and that's where kind of like we had talked before is that front staff position. It's like you have to have. I mean, what, what what's the caregiver support guide? How long is that? Eighty. It's now sixty two pages. Sixty two pages yeah. long, and just. You know, beginning of day, end of day, middle of the day, tasks you have to do, this, this, this. It's incredibly complex. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, individually, it would take one piece out of that caregiver support guide. Very simple. Right. But the connections, the way you have to keep it all sorted in your brain, what am I supposed to be doing? And it's, yep, follow up. And it all comes back, of course, to what the name of the position is, is caregiver support. Right. You know, and... Yeah. A failure on that, a failure on callbacks, a failure on uh, people calling in to provide the correct information, failure for the people who are actually sitting in the lobby as far as getting updates, you know, uh, mm -hmm. how long is this going to take, where is my patient, you know, all those different types of things. It is a significant reducer of caregiver stress when they are in the hospital Oh yeah, to have someone competent up front. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, it all just goes yeah. out the window. Yep. And I mean, honestly, I mean, even for those complaints that have run up to uh, state board review, I mean, it's still at its core has always come back to front staff. 
Yeah. I'm not saying that there hasn't been circumstances where, yeah, maybe the doctor should have been a little less prickly. I'm not saying that, <laughs> you know, but I'm not necessarily placing blame on the front staff. I think a part of, you know, the, the team receives the complaint. Yeah. The team receives the complaint. However, yes. the better we communicate yes. up front, yes. especially like yes. even, even before they walk in the door. Yeah. Soon as they. Oh, absolutely. Dude, I, I hit this point the other day where it was like, oh, yeah, I know how to say this now. Yep. I, I figured it yeah, out. Like, the, I finally got my talk path down. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to, it's kind of like you, when we, when I had first started, you talked about how you explain euthanasia yeah. the same way every single time. Every single time. I finally hit that with talking to people on the phone. Yep. And it, yep. ever since then, it's either I'm not comfortable with that and I'm not going to show up. And I say, that's okay. Like, right. It's up to you. Like, right. This is what it is. Yes. Yes. Or they're like, cool. Yep. See you when we get there. Yeah. Right. It's, there's no, there's no one, right. the one, there's no middle ground no. because the, the confusion yeah. is, is what pisses people off. Absolutely. I think. Just, oh, absolutely. Well, no, that was, that was um, actually just this last weekend we had a caregiver through who, um, uh, you know, I think admittedly, um, you know, on, on his side, uh, this gentleman is very, very fast to hear a part of a sentence and then draw his own conclusion at the end of the sentence. So yeah. he's going to hear the first part and he's going to assume the rest. Well, it was uh, a circumstance where he had talked to, um, you know, Grant, who, who was running the front end. Grant was the only one answering calls at that time. It was specifically at, you know, 5.15 p.m. Mm -hmm. So the other, you know, we had already had shift change. The three girls were there. None of them answered the phones. And it was part of our, um, you know, toxicology spiel, you know, where it's like, okay, we understand your patient has toxin exposure. Um, you can definitely bring your patient in. Our initial office exam is blank. But we always coordinate with poison control. We right. always coordinate with poison control. And part of the part of what he had drawn the conclusion on was that, oh, you can't help me. Oh, so the guy had then heard, well, you guys don't have a toxicologist, so you can't help me. You can't treat my animal. Mm -hmm. And when he had heard, we were like, oh, you know, uh, animal poison controls fee is, you know, six, five dollars. Um, didn't hear that right. He heard our initial fee is six hundred dollars. So in his brain, it was I'm coming in with a $600 fee and no one's even going to be able to help me. Mm. So the moment he came in the front door, uh, he was firing off to Grant, to the technicians, to even when I came in, it was just he had a book in front of him. He was just reading it and just looking over the top like, Ugh. And, you know, I was like, all right, you know, not everyone has great experiences. And what I've learned over the years is that we can't take on their energy. And I think that's part of this bubble that I've created around myself. And I hope to get that over to the team as well. Mm -hmm. But a part of it is I'm like, if someone's mad, it doesn't have anything to do with me. No. They're frustrated about the circumstance. They're frustrated about whatever's bringing them through the door. And as soon as we take that on to now where we're mad, we're frustrated, we're upset, it all goes to hell. Right. And it's very, very hard to not buy into it. And I think part of that is our, we talk about personality, but I think, you know, part of it, you know, with the Tricor assessment and what is, you know, is this, they hate me versus they hate the situation. Mm -hmm. um, so it was starting to kind of get out of control rapidly, you know, and um, so I, you know, I, uh, Megan, she comes in back, you know, one of our, our technicians, she comes in back and she's like, oh, he's already, he's already saying da 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 And he was like, so I was like, you know what? No, nope, nope. I don't have time to talk to this guy right now and straighten him out. But it has immediately surfaced to the top of our triage protocol. Right. Because if I don't get this guy under control in a very short amount of time, I got a lobby full of people who the more he fires his mouth off, the more he's going to make those people anxious about what's happening with our services. More importantly, 
as we start to get through this process, when we start to provide blood results, we start to hospitalize this patient, we start to have this case go south. If he's not listening to what it is I'm saying, it's going to turn into, you never told me that this was going to be a problem. You never adequately informed me of this. You never, you never, you never, you never. Yeah. He was a blame placer. Yeah. So I went right into, you know, and so the, you know, the girls come back and, you know, it was just, they could just see me. It was just one of these where I was just starting to turn my head and I was like, you know, and it was just boom. Nope. I trust my team. I trust what Grant said on the phone. I wasn't there when Grant answered the phone, but I know what Grant says right. when he answers the phone because Grant's yeah. not going to deviate because there is not even necessarily a written protocol. There are some script uh, answers for, like you said, yeah. you, but you have to figure it out in your brain, the way yeah. the words come out of your mouth. Yep. So I had trust in my team, and that's, of course, being one of our core values, that they had done their jobs right and that no one was lying to me because they knew in our environment, like we said before, I don't care if people make mistakes. Right. Why would I care? You know, right. it always turns into us, you know, that the individual owning the problem to us creating a solution and implementing it. I mean, yeah. we are so high on that accountability ladder all the time. Mm -hmm. It's not scary when there's a mistake, no. you know. So that was that I went right into this room and I was like, we're going to figure this out right now, you yeah. know, and the wife who, you know, clearly she's in a relationship with this man. Um, you know, you could tell that there were times, well, cause I had spoken to her separately and when he came in, she's, Oh, he's just that way. He's just that way. And it was like, he's not going to be that way today. I said, because we are here to help you and we are here to help your patient. I said, when we start to detect animosity, I said, not everyone has and can speak as direct as I can. I'm like, I'll mm -hmm. talk direct to you. I don't care. Right. You know, I say, so not everyone has that where they're going to start to feel negative. They're going to start to take on this energy, start to take on these emotions. I said, I can't have that happen within my staff. I said, because this is what we're here for. We're here to help patients and we need to maintain, you know, our, our, uh, procedure. We need to maintain our unity. We need to maintain all this while we're going through this. And then, you know, the gentleman had come back in the room and he started going through, well, yeah, I was told this and I was told this. I was told, not by anyone on my team. Right. You know, and at the end of it, you could tell, you know, he's like, well, it's water under the bridge. So rather than like acknowledging, oh, I may have been wrong in this situation, it's like, well, it's behind us. So let's just move past it. And I said, um, no, that's not going to work for me. Uh, I'm like, let's, let's just one thing. I said, because as we move forward, I said, you need to be able to trust anything that comes out of mine in my team's mouth. I said, so it is water under the bridge, but just acknowledge and understand that we're here to treat your patient. And that's our our primary objective. Right. Um, and I said, so at no point in time will there continue to be confusion from my team. I said, if you become confused with my team, I said, you can come right to me or you can come to anyone else to clarify that. I said, because we're talking about a very serious situation, a very serious intoxicant, and there isn't going to be any opportunity for us to continue to be confused. And he was like, okay. You know, and then that was it. Yeah. Teddy bear. Right. You know, and I think, that's where we start to talk about core values. We start to talk about cultural issues in the profession. We start to talk about that. And this is all circling back to how we started this diatribe was the strength of the front end. Right. You know, is if we start to have any individual, and we have that weak link, any mm -hmm. indi any individual at any that, level, at any level, it doesn't matter, front end, back staff, is then it's like, well, shh, 
who's going to who's going to deal with this problem now? Who's right. going to deal with this problem now? Who's going to deal with this problem now? And having our ground floor administration, I mean, that's part of the broken hierarchy, mm -hmm. you know, is that it's not, you know, we're, uh, you know, on, on high, you know, passing judgment down. That's not how we work. It's we have administrators there. We have people with higher training there. We have senior staff, you know, we have all these people, but it's still the same objective. Serve the patient, serve the patient, serve the patient. But you will sort out those weak links in a very short amount of time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's funny, too, that you bring up the hierarchy thing yeah. because my you you went from the the top down like that was your perspective on it and i i get where that comes from yep. my initial thought was bottom up mm -hmm. so if there's no administration there and the and the shit does hit the fan in mm -hmm. some way shape or form yep and no one's there to actually fix it what does everyone do oh well you're just gonna have to take that up with this person yeah with my with my manager yep. and they'll call you when they get around to it right and that's right. the only way they can deal with this absolutely shit. because there's if they take it into their own hands, especially yeah. in a very hierarchical organization, yeah. and they mess it up this much, yeah. they're going to get rammed. <laughs> yeah, It's yeah. not going to be pretty at all. Yeah. So they end up just deferring yeah. as all much problems. as they can yeah. up. Mm -hmm. Well, what is, that just build a habit yeah. of the, the problems start big. Yeah. That they, and respectfully so, if it's a big problem, move it up. Yeah, absolutely. They get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And now our blood machine doesn't work. Yeah. Call, I need to yeah, call, call the CEO. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, just problem solve a little bit. But right. I think that that's yeah. a, a perfect segue yeah. into this, this hurricane thing yeah. because that's just a, a, a symptom yeah. of how so many things are busted. And, yeah. and, and now we have, we talked about it last week where we have this set of people that are so amazingly skilled at problem solving. Yes. That uh, don't yeah. do it. Correct. Correct. And it's, you know, I, I, yeah, I think the eye of the, eye of the hurricane, the eye of the storm, I, I think it really is the perfect, perfect analogy because it's the same thing. Like, you know, what happens when natural disasters actually occur? Natural disasters rarely occur for more than a few days to a week. Right. So for us to assume that we have just this one problem that's going to be, now let's go ahead and, and exclude global climate change because that is a constant ongoing problem. We're talking about the effects of that. So when yes. we're talking tropical storms, you know, in, uh, you know, ocean acidification, all those types of things. Uh, so if we get into the kind of these smaller things and saying, well, no, there's always a cleanup crew. There's always something that comes after. There's always rebuilding afterwards is... You know, I think for me, what I kind of find funny is you're exactly right, is we're all, we're all highly skilled at problem solving and we don't do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think there's kind of two ways you can problem solve a, an issue. And I, and I think um, for me, I kind of, you know, I kind of laugh because for me, I'm a doctor, right? So what I have been taught to do or at least understand and recognize is disease prevention and early disease detection. That's mm -hmm. a huge part of what we try to do on the wellness side is just prevent it. And if it's there, find it early. Right. That is not what medicine is, especially not in America, is that it's, oh, we have a huge problem. What can we do to fix it? Yeah. What drugs do we have? What treatments do we have? So I do kind of, you know, there, there's two sides of the hurricane. So one side of the hurricane is you have to fix the, you have to like fix the aftermath. But the other side is how do you prevent the hurricane? Mm -hmm. You know? And so I think, you know, where all of us are at, and I think that's part of our hurricane analogy is we're very much on like the fix it side. Let's pop through the other side of that hurricane and figure out what the cleanup crew has to do. And it's going to be pretty much the same cleanup every single time we clean something up, but it's going to be a little bit different. You're 
clean up in Alabama is going to be the clean, different from clean up in Alaska. But for the most part, it is about the same. Right. Um, you can only have floods so many ways. You, know, <laughs> you can have a flood cleanup crew so many ways. Right. Um, but I think the prevent the prevention side, um, I think that really attests to and speaks to where integration with universities, integration with shelters, integration with mentorship programs, that's how you really kind of prevent these natural disasters. You sort of prevent the hurricanes because you're you're catching it at a different part of the problem. We're trying to catch students before they have significant problems as postgrads or even pre-grads, really. Yeah. Um, you know, shelter integration. You, you start to integrate with shelter medicine. You are actually on the community level. It is a, it is a public health. It is a community support activity right. to integrate with shelters. Yep. Um, you know, so when you kind of start to look at, at, at that side and mentorship, of course, integrates into both the student side and the, um, you know, shelter engagement side. But the idea is that's how you treat and prevent the hurricane. But then the other side is there's so much work on this side is you have to run both tandem. It's, it's, you know, just playing with that metaphor. It's yeah. almost as if you're just fortifying everything mm-hmm. after. Yeah. So we're like when it hits again, yeah. because it's, probably going to absolutely oh just, yeah you just have less destruction you have yeah. more stable pillars yep. that are ready for it yeah um yep. big stone pillars yeah not no more straw hut. old yeah. farm yeah. beams yes old fire egg yeah these <laughs> massive barns with huge 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 pillars and yeah exactly um they just don't make them that way anymore no. you know and i think the other thing too i mean if you bring barns into it you can't find that wood anymore no you know you can't find good quality wood like that no. you know but uh but again yes i think you're exactly right i think it's um it is fortification and i think i mean you know think about anyone who lives in hurricane alley mm-hmm. anyone who lives in you know floodplains anyone who lives in these areas is that you know the technology that is developed in those areas always fortify for the natural disasters you see regularly Mm -hmm. you know i mean it's there's no way you would find um you know someone up in the northern tip of the up have a hurricane shelter right or i'm sorry a uh, tornado uh, tornado shelter you know it just wouldn't really exist um but uh uh you know you definitely would find that down into the you know southern plains and down and through there but anyway um there's a with with all of that yeah basically what it is is yeah, you there's it. there's predictive analysis yeah. that can be put into and really what I would call that honestly is problem solving. Yeah. What is predictive analysis? It's taking a set of variables and saying, yep. okay, this happened, all it's the two sides. This yep. happened, this could happen. Right. So we're playing on the this could happen side. <laughs> yeah. As Simultaneously. Well, as well as yeah. the oh, this yeah. shit yeah. all happened. Yeah. So let's yeah. gather it all up, see what we have left, and then mm-hmm. start to rebuild it so that when it happens again, yeah. how well, are we better? Well, and I think that's sort of the ingrained tradition that is our profession is that, um, you know, I, I felt it myself, um, you know, just this last uh, winter. You know, what I what I identified was is, you know, we were, we were breaking new ground for the first two to three years of ownership, you know, of this particular clinic. Now, again, two to three years of ownership, it was actually about five to six years of planning and problem solving and solution creating and so on and so forth. It's for us, we were 
owning it, we were creating solutions and we were coming into the implementation phase once we had purchased. So we right. were um, into that implementation phase. Um, you so anyway, actually business planned. Yeah, we, right, <laughs> right. Um, so, but you know, part of that was, was the comfort levels. I felt it, you know, it's like we were, we were blazing trails, you know, we were blazing this new ground and we were doing things that no one else was doing, definitely in the Wisconsin area, let alone the profession. And then it was, you know, you, you start to feel it where you're like, oh, I've put all of this work into it. I want to protect this. I want to make sure it doesn't go away. And then you sort of settle into complacency. You're like, well, yeah, I think I'm just going to continue to function within this. And it's like, but hold on a second. You can't, you, you can't function within this particular egg anymore. You yeah. know, you have to pop out of that because you have to keep it moving. You can't just stay in this nice little bubble. Mm -hmm. But that is the story of our profession is that we had these trailblazers in the 80s and 90s who were really just doing things no one else was doing. And then they got comfortable. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with getting comfortable because, you know, again, that's a very nice place to be. People make decisions on their own life. I mean, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But you're exactly right is we have this strong innate ability to problem solve, but there's also a time where you also like to lean a bit more on comfort and stability, which I think everybody does. I think it's probably an aged thing, mm -hmm. you know, coming into 40s and 50s and 60s, you want more stability than instability. Um, but that's then the issue is like I said I felt it and I felt it creeping in around December and it's like you know it was like uh, January I'm sorry yeah December January um okay how do we keep pushing forward how do we keep this process going because there's still so much work to be done yeah. and it's kind of where I was back when I hit 30 you know is it's like I had everything I needed in life yeah. And it's like, nope, let's throw that away. Yep. Let's figure out what the next challenge is because there's more people to help. There's more patients to serve. There's more teams, you know, that we can build. And I mean, there's a lot more we can do. And it's like, that's now what the next step is. It's like, just keep that mindset. It's just a, keep moving. It's crazy, too, because I think in this specific scenario, if you think about a, a, somebody who is blazing a trail yeah. uh, in, a, in an environment that would... Um, that that would have a, a trail like or somebody trailing close behind us sure. as, even as a competitor sure 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 i think that you would you could excuse uh, falling on comfort oh absolutely oh, yeah 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 it's yeah it's like it, it, yeah I mean, somebody's going to get to our point and then maybe take up the mantle of yeah. yep i'm going to push one step further even harder right yeah. Yeah. and that's like cool you're advancing yeah. but the thing is at least around here from what i yeah. i can tell and i think you would agree is like no nope, no, we're just going to have to keep pushing yeah. because there's nobody really pushing behind us. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, I was just talking um, to one of our mentees uh, boyfriends last night about this, as I said, you know, really what the veterinary profession is small animal medicine, of course, you know, since the 80s, 90s is, is that, you know, really for us, it's, it's very comparable to the American colonization of the West, okay. you know, is that you kind of had two different things. You had those people that just jumped into a covered wagon, you know, they had their oxen and it's just head West. Mm -hmm. But then you also kind of had the railroad companies that were also pushing ground to head West. So you kind of had those initial pioneers, but then you had, you know, the industry, you had the corporations sort of coming after them. And, you know, it's like, have we have we really reached the Pacific yet? And have the railroads really reached the Pacific yet? You know, and if the railroads stopped or the railroads are trying, if the railroads stopped at the Mississippi and they're like, eh, everything from the Mississippi to the Pacific is just sort of free territory, you know, and it's like, <laughs> we don't need that. Yeah, there's no statehood, you know, there, there's nothing like that. Um, is that, you know, really that's where we're still at is that as a profession, there's a lot of us still in these covered wagons moving west and trying to 
to colonize and it's, you know, we're just trying to make our claim, so to speak. Um, and I, you know, part of that tradition, part of that comfort is, oh yeah, hell yeah, we need people to stop and keep their wagons in one particular area because that's where the town develops. And yeah. once the town develops, the railroad comes in, you right. know. So it's, you know, I think that there is time where um, comfort is necessary. I think we agree upon that. Yeah. And there is someone to sort of take up the reins and keep it moving forward. Um, but I think there's just too many people staying in town, you know, and there's yeah. a really nasty hurricane out there, right. you know, tornado out there that it's like, well, I don't want to go run through that. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to go <laughs> yeah. over those rocky mountains. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going. That there. looks really difficult. <laughs> That, that's funny though because like we keep bringing up these different metaphors and yeah. it's like wait a second that works really well because yeah. what happened when they hit the pacific yeah the gold rush massive 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 it was huge it was like huge. that was a, right. that that took america yeah. to a whole nother yeah. level, whole nother level. <laughs> and yeah. now that you bring that up it's like shit yeah. well i don't know i don't feel like we've gotten there yet no. because it, it's been it's no. been uh, the profession's not on pacific coast yeah no well yeah. even I mean, us like, as yeah. individuals yeah. like oh, even yeah. if the railroad hasn't caught up yet yeah. you know there's yeah. they're still back on the other side yeah. of mississippi whatever yeah. yeah we're still not at the coast no. either mm -hmm. and the funny part is as soon as I, i'm I, i'm just bringing it up as a curious point because yeah. at some point i believe we'll get there I, we have I, to I, right there's yeah failure's not an option and my curiosity is okay when we get there yeah and then word gets out yeah what's gonna happen yeah how many people are gonna rush there yeah I'm now I'm super curious. Yeah, I, I hope everybody. I hope everybody does yeah. too. Yeah, I, I, I honestly, I mean, when you start talking about blazing new trails, I mean, that's the idea. That's you the know? revolution. That's the revolution. You know, and I think for us, it's like, yeah, those initial, you know, people who did move west, it's like, yeah, they probably didn't reap the benefit of the gold rush, but a whole lot of people did. Right. You know, and I think that's where I see the future of our profession is, yeah, let, let's cut these trails. And, and we may end up saying we have to leave tradition behind. Tradition's still going to be there. There's going to be these pockets and we basically split off and we start running side by side. Mm -hmm. Tradition's over there doing its thing. Tradition is comfort. Tradition is stability. So there's going to be those individuals who want to maintain tradition, maintain stability. It won't be for too much longer. Mm -hmm. That's that's you're going to hit the Grand Canyon and fall over the edge because the the needs within the cultural uh, aspect of our profession, the service and the talent part of our profession is is the the tradition is going to stop very very soon. Mm -hmm. um, so, but that's okay. It may it maybe it's in our professional career. Maybe it's not. Maybe we get another. 10, 20 years before tradition completely collapses. Um, we won't have another economic collapse uh, that tradition can can move through. I yeah. mean, when, when that happens, you will find the majority of tradition is going to die out. Um, but to say that we have this other thing running side by side and saying, nope, we're breaking new ground. We're not trying to change tradition. We're just saying, hey, here's all the problems. Here's our solutions we're going on with who's coming with us. Um, that's where we say that really what we're trying to do is we're not trying to necessarily build clinics. You know, we're not trying to own clinics. We're not trying to, you know, fine. Yeah, we may have multiple ownership or however that turns out. But really, we're building leaders. Mm -hmm. we, we want to build people who are coming with us to the Pacific, you know, to the end, you know, popping through the tornado, popping through the hurricane. You know, all those different analogies that we have is we're building leaders. Right. So for us to take that dynamic is you want to talk about 
the influx of corporate medicine. You want to talk about these things that are really going to start to hurt tradition. Um, you know, uh, the, the corporate clinics, the corporate environment is just trying to push out tradition. And that, that is the sidestep. The sidestep is let's buy out tradition and we're just going to institute corporate policy. Well, then everyone's an employee. Everyone is working for the corporation. Everyone is working for, you know, you have, um, you know, someone working in Wisconsin, you know, having a corporation based out of New York to yeah. then, you know, have these, you know, you don't have local influence. You have fine. You may have, you know, regional, uh, you know, medical directors and regional uh, administrators and things like that. But really, when you start to talk about the ground level, I mean, the culture of our profession is so necessary that it's maintained and focused at the clinic on the ground level. You have to have local ownership. Yeah, you have to. There, there's no question around it. You yeah. have to have local. And we're not talking about partners. No, that's the no. big difference. You can't have a, a multi-tiered um, corporate organization where you have an owner in Ohio, you have an you know a part owner in Nebraska, and a part owner in Alaska, and those three are all weighing in and voting on policy that's going to affect someone in Southern California. That's yeah. going to affect someone in the Florida Keys. Yeah, like that is not going to work. No. So to have that local influence. That's what we're talking about is the creation of leaders and the creation of leaders owning clinics, which we can help facilitate that ownership. Um, you then start to create a system that is in direct opposition of corporate medicine. We're not saying tradition and corporate medicine are our only paths. We're saying, nope, right now we have tradition that's sort of dying into corporate medicine. And we're saying, nope, nope. Hey, guess what? Yeah. There is this other path yep. that we can teach and we can build those leaders. We can create comfort in that line. There's definitely going to be little towns. There's going to be a little mm -hmm. comfort. There's going to be these things as we move through our path. Right. But in the end, it comes down to building leaders. Yeah. You know, it's so, uh, you know, it's, you, you keep mentioning corporate medicine. Yeah. That's not just medicine, FYI. Yeah. It's corporate. Corporate America. So just a, a quick aside, because I think what you're saying is is we start to just dive into, okay, one of the three key pieces that's broken is culture, right? Yep. Well, as you mentioned, all of this corporate stuff, my mom's worked for Liberty Mutual for 25 years, sure. something like that. Yep. Most of my life. Big in Wausau. Huge. They bought out Wausau Insurance and ever since you know they bought they were based out of boston now they're based out of maine whatever they own yeah. safeco which is in seattle sure but they've got this little pocket in wausau wisconsin <laughs> right and the funny part is they're from my mom's very different from me sure she doesn't play into culture all that much she's very very high c critical sure. attention detail yeah and every time i ask her about how her work environment is dog shit yeah. just awful yeah because all of in the only time like she doesn't complain about her team that's no. in in house sure. it's about the individuals that are trying to run their culture yeah from boston and yeah. from seattle absolutely and what and it doesn't freaking work no, it doesn't work because they live completely different lives mm -hmm. like for example and my mom's very conservative and a lot of people that work there are exceptionally conservative yeah. But there was like at the Wausau branch, there was a huge stink because they changed their health insurance to cover transition surgeries for those that are, uh, yeah, cro you know, sure. gender, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And like the the Wausau area, like they lost their shit about it. <laughs> I'm not paying for that. Yeah, but yeah. in Boston and Seattle, massive, totally normal. Yeah, it's like absolutely, yeah. they're yeah. just gonna do it because right. di different different worlds. Absolutely. So that model. Because of again, an, 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 an uncountable number of variables, 
that model of nationwide type ownership, I yeah. completely agree, is is yeah. dead. And I think it's going to shine through uh, Wausau Tiles going through that because sure. when Bill Kresge died, um, his sister, I believe, took over. She lives in California. Sure. And their turnover has gone up. I would have to imagine. Because Bill was on the floor. Yep. Like that guy walked the floor of yep. his facilities every day until he died. Yep. I think, I, I don't, don't quote me on it, but I'm pretty sure he died in one of his facilities. Oh, shit. Not, yeah. and, and he just fell, yeah. had a heart attack and just yeah. fell over dead. There it was, yeah. And but so that that company has seen massive transitions yeah. in, in from going from zero, nothing. Yeah. Fifty years ago. Yeah. Scoring a contract with, with McDonald's yeah. to now the, the the biggest in their industry, yeah. and now they're seeing this huge change because yeah. there's this difference, this difference in culture. Yeah. So taking culture and now looking at our our industry, sure. what's broken? Just yeah. give me the rundown of what's broken. Yeah, I think single-handedly, single-handedly, I think when you look at what is broken about culture is that it's, it's what I've coined as being this failed bond spectrum alignment. And I think our bond spectrum needs to be defined several different ways. But when you look at the human-animal bond is everyone is going to sort of define their bond to their animal, which in our company we call patient. So um, every caregiver, every patient, that bond is going to be defined differently. On one side of the spectrum, you're going to have this really high anthropomorphized attachment, massive attachment. Um, this is my baby. And it's not even not even a sense. I mean, yeah, there's the coin term fur babies, but really it's even kind of starting to go beyond fur baby now to where, no, this is an actual like human yeah. in our house. This is my child. This is my actual I child. I hold this creature with yes. the same regard as I do a Absolutely. Human. Absolutely. No, no difference. Yeah. And we're not even saying that that level of attachment is in households where they do or don't already have human children. Mm -hmm. We're talking about just the actual attachment on how they view this animal in their household. So then you swing in the other direction and you say, now we have maybe a older definition of the human animal bond, like something you would have seen coming out of, um, you know, the sixties and seventies, the man's best friend, you know, I mean, this was an era where animals didn't live in the house. We mm -hmm. had an outside dog, we had outside cats. Um, because again, even from a care standpoint, I mean, the, the care of small animals didn't really develop or, you know, until the eighties and nineties, uh, to the extent that it is today. Um, but even in, in that pre era, so we talk about people who, were maybe born in the 20s and 30s, uh, you know, coming into what they viewed the attachment to an animal to now people born in the 2000s to early 2000s, mm -hmm. uh, 2010s, things in that regard. So when we start to talk about the people coming through our front door, so these, these people who are responsible for caring for their patients, so the caregivers come through our door and they have their particular bond alignment, whether it's fur baby down to man's best friend, a working dog, something like that, they have mutual respect for their patients, but their actual emotional bond is much, much different. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the caregiver coming through the door. Now we need to talk about the bond spectrum alignment of people in the profession. Mm -hmm. So now we have between the doctors to the you know certified technicians or uh, veterinary nurses to um, the assistants to the front end staff. So now we talk about not even a difference on bond spectrum alignment for the position to say that doctors are always different than medical support. That's not true. We're talking about even people within that. So you take five doctors, how are they aligning? You take five technicians, how are they aligning? Five uh, you know, medical support and caregiver support. 
how are they aligning? Mm -hmm. So now we, when we start talking about this failed bond spectrum alignment is that when there is no widely accepted definition of what the human animal bond is, there is an incredible opportunity for failed culture. Oh yeah. Because what ends up happening is you have say a caregiver who comes through the door that they align low. So it's man's best friend, right? Mm -hmm. So this is just my dog and you know, uh, dogs, you know, we only do so much for dogs um, because they either have a job or you know, whatever happens to be, but there's only gonna be so much we're gonna do for our animal. Yep. And they enter into a medical environment where that bond spectrum is very, very high with say the doctor and maybe the medical support, but not the front staff. Maybe the front staff is like, oh yeah, you only do so much for dogs. But then the medical support staff and the doctor, it's fur baby. Yeah. So why? So now we have a doctor or a medical support coming into an environment where now they're judging this particular individual and saying, "Ugh, I care more for your patient than you care for it." I can't believe you I, wouldn't do this. I can't believe you wouldn't do this. Yeah. Um, and I think one of my one of my perfect examples is you know when we start to see some of the and I'm not saying all are this way. I'm just saying you know as as a, as a you know uh, an example is saying you know we have these feline practices right. So a cat practice and that's all they do is just see cat specialty cat practice and you know i always kind of make the joke what happens when um you know farmer dan brings in a feral barn cat right what 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 is that person going to be subjected to cat's never been vaccinated cat's never been spayed or neutered but damn that is cat is the best mouser he has on his property and it keeps infestation low yeah. and it's you know it's not particularly feral it's relatively tame but it's like he wants to do what he can to keep that cat alive what's going to happen when he goes into that practice is he going to be dis, you know disparaged is there gonna be a certain level of disparagement where it's like well don't you know they need to be spayed and neutered this leads to you know overpopulation don't you know they need to be vaccinated don't you know 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 and no they don't not everyone does. Not right. everyone has the same medical knowledge that we do, that there is viral testing. There are things we vaccinate for. There are things, because some people just have never had that exposure because they've never taken a farm cat to the vet. This is the first time, and they say, hey, oh, God, there's a new farm, or there's a new cat vet in town. I have a sick cat. That's where I need to go because I bring sick cats there. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the ways in which we sort of have this font, this sort of uh, bond, you know, spectrum change. Uh, and then you can kind of go um, the other way too, is where you have someone come through the door with incredibly high alignment. This is my fur baby. And then you have a culture or you have a veterinarian or you have a technician or front end staff, whatever happens to be. And they're more in the spectrum of man's best friend. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's just a dog. It's just a cat. And it's like, well, how dare you say that? Or, you know, for me, what usually hits me is I often refer to our patients as patients and I just get the patient, the patient, the patient, mm -hmm. the patient. Um, mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll get burned for it's like, well, her name is Macy. Yeah. And it, it upsets me that you keep saying patient. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I, and I have to kind of take pause and I'm like, well, you know, for us, we use patient and we use caregiver as very universal terms. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're not saying owner or, you know, we're not saying pet parent. We're not saying these things because really, if you look at all those different definitions, all of a, all of the, the people who come through the door are responsible for caring for their patient. Um, and that's the idea where we're sort of having this universal term, but I have to remind myself that, oh, sometimes there are people who align so high that they don't like universal terminology. Technology. They like, you know, to yeah. you, you mean know, personalized service, personalized service. Yeah. 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 So there, there's times where even I, I failed that model. But when you start to look at this failed bond spectrum alignment is that all in all, when you look at sort of the three parts that 
we talk about with culture is our ununified profession, failed engagement and disparagement is really when we start to talk about the ununified profession, this is what we're talking about. There is no one standard definition of how we as veterinarians, we as technicians, we as uh, medical support, we as caregiver support are supposed to align. There's no universal acceptance of how are we supposed to you know, treat people when we come through. If I think every animal's a fur baby, but they think every animal's man's best friend. Um, and when we sort of have that ununified profession, um, let's just take a scenario. So we talked about the difference between caregivers and met and support staff is sort of the, the difference in opinion there. Um, let's say we then have that breakdown between uh, different veterinarians, different technicians, different medical support, different caregiver support. And now we're talking about treating a patient with a terminal condition. We're treating a patient with an aggressive toxicity. Mm -hmm. we're treating a patient with um, any, any other number of things, um, even even down to even say uh, preventative diseases, whether we're uh, providing heartworm preventative, flea and tick preventative, I mean, you can, you can break it down however you want. But let's talk about the scenario where we have maybe these geriatric cats or we have end stage patients being hospitalized and now we start to have this disparity within the medical team where we say, oh, well, Dr. A would have never treated this. Well, Dr. B is treating this too much. Dr. C is now talking about Dr. A and Dr. B and, you know, and then the medical support and then you start to see where the staff and having just the cultural break, just this break and bond spectrum starts to polarize the staff. Mm -hmm. You then start to see where some group are going with Dr. A, some group is with B, some group is with C, mm -hmm. and then we start to have this significant breakdown in culture mm -hmm. because then it's just it's just the little snide things. It's like, ugh, I work with her today. Right. You know, ugh, I work with him today. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I just need to get through this. Or you'll have where um, as time moves on, um, everyone finds their place in the world, right? So you have a clinic where that clinic culture, everybody who's there who hasn't been quit or hasn't been fired, um, the whole environment for that clinic, fur babies. Yeah. The whole clinic. Yep. So then a new technician comes in or a new doctor comes in and we start to talk about, you know, toxic work environments, right? So we're still talking about just the ununified profession component to this, right? right? So we yep. start to talk about, you know, sort of the ununified profession, these toxic environments. And what ends up happening is when you start to look at accountability in these toxic environments, no one's really owning their own individual part in what has added to the toxicity of this environment. So you can say on one hand, you have the culture of the clinic that has a failed bond spectrum because all they do is treat fur babies. Mm -hmm. This team is unreceptive to anyone else who doesn't define the human animal bond this way. Right. And then we have, we try and give that to the owners, veterinarians. They're like, we need to find veterinarians to help us. We need to find technicians to help us. We're going to take whoever we can get and just jump them into the team. Um, and then the you know the veterinarian or the technician or whoever else, you know, whoever else is coming into the team, they're not adequately prepared, and they also then try to fight the system. Yeah. So it's there's they have no oversight to say, well, how am I as an individual going to integrate into this new team? Mm -hmm. Because one, I don't bond spectrum align with this particular team. Mm -hmm. I actually don't even realize that there is a bond spectrum. I don't even know that I'm supposed to align any way. I just know that me working here is killing me. Right. And the staff is killing me. And, and I don't no even have words to put to I, it. Yeah, I don't I don't even have a way of adequately defining this toxic work environment. All I know is that she's a bitch and I hate him. Yeah. And they think I'm a bitch and he hates me. Yep. You know, so and that, now I don't want to go to work. Now I don't want to go to work. And that that's the only um 
uh, sort of definition or the only, like you said, we don't have the words, right? So all we have looked at is saying, here is a subset of problems, but I don't have the skills to adequately problem solve. I don't have the tools to adequately create solutions and implement those solutions. All I know is I'm stuck. Yeah. And what the hell do I do next? Yep. And so then when we have, say, you know, the um, owners or, you know, whoever else is there, um, then we start to look at sort of that that hierarchy and we say, well, you know, we need to have doctors. Well, I'm going to continue to keep this doctor in my environment because I need someone to see appointments with a license. So then when we start to have sort of, um, you know, sort of that ununified profession, then we have people staying in our team who, who may or may not should be there or you know may or may or not should be there but i think a bigger part of it is it's a reevaluation of the entire team so maybe this doctor actually is a perfect fit for the clinic of tomorrow that this is the individual who actually needs to be in the profession and we look at sort of then the argument of the tradition side well this is tradition this is what's been here this is what we've had implemented um but this is actually the clinic is what does not actually engage our clients appropriately, our caregivers appropriately, our patients appropriately. Mm -hmm. And that's where we sort of come into then the other, the second part of sort of our failed um, culture is that then it's failed engagement. Yeah. So then what it boils down to is how are anybody in a team, whether we're talking public relations or we're even talking, uh, uh, discussing wellness and disease prevention, we're talking about disease management, diagnosis and detection. Um, what then happens when we can't engage our team appropriately? Do doctors can't trust technicians, medical support, so on and so forth, or they can't trust the doctor, or um, the owners aren't trusting part of the staff or the office managers. Because again, like we had said before, is depending on how they sort their problems, if all problems are going up through management, right. and now it's a matter of he said, she said, what tools do we actually have to break through he said, she said, mm -hmm. so that, you know, uh, the, the, the sort of, um, you know, guts of it come out so we can identify the problems to create solutions and then sort of implement what those solutions are. So when you look at failed engagement, I think failed engagement goes on just culturally, not even from a business standpoint, but I think culturally when we talk about failed engagement, um, it's kind of like, you know, we had said earlier on in this conversation is that if we start to have failed alignment in an ununified clinic, um, failed engagement is going to be like we said, when someone comes through and they are upset already coming in, maybe they're upset because of the state of affairs with their patient, maybe they're coming in because they're upset um, or worried about finances, they're coming in you know, upset because of previous experiences they had, yep. they're upset because of what medical support staff is on because they don't like working with one particular doctor. Mm -hmm. So the failed engagement then becomes in well, how do, we, how do we address this? How do we fix this? How do we address this caregiver coming through the door? How do we address the veterinarian that's not integrating into the staff? How do we address the staff that's not allowing a new veterinarian to integrate into the staff or a new technician to integrate into the staff with new techniques and so on and so forth? And that's that failed engagement. Is it so much easier to do nothing Right. Don't do anything. Just let them do their thing. Let I'll them do, do my thing, thing and yep. we'll have our little tribes and we'll survive. Yep. And my, maybe, maybe for a short period of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, we know technicians are surviving seven years and they're out of the profession, right. which is a terrible statistic. Um, but the, no, you're exactly right is we have these groups. And that was one of the things I identified at um, my first, my first job is, you know, individually, I got along with all the staff individually. I mean, and, and I'd like to think of myself as a very inviting person. You know, I mean, I try to be, I mean, there are times when I'm not, but, you know, I think in general, I try to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. um, and that was one of the things that I saw at my first job was, 
the night crew did not get along with the day crew. The front staff did not get along with the back staff. And so then you have like this weird triangle where like the night, uh, the night back staff hates the day front staff the worst, you know, because they're like yeah. exactly opposite of each other. Yep. Um, you know, so when you start to see this failed engagement, it's then, well, what do you do as an office manager? And when you look at then an office manager who is in charge of culture, in charge of clinic ordering, in charge of hiring and firing, in charge of this, in charge of this, in charge of this, and that one person is responsible for doing all of these things, there's no way you're going to be able to address failed engagement. You're mm -hmm. just going to be like, yeah, maybe. I'm just going to put this person that that aligns with this group yep. into this group. Yep. And hopefully a war doesn't break out at hopefully. some point. Yeah. Very, very early on um, in my employment um, in the uh, central Wisconsin area at the clinic that we then bought, um, it was a very open schedule system. Okay. It was um, just, when can you work? Anybody? When can you work? We are in your debt. When can you work? We are doing a favor to us. When can you work? And what it then turned into was, um, well, people pretty much just want to work with Carlo. And it's, you know, I mean, again, I'm, I'm <laughs> I feel very um, honored, you know, that, right. that I'm able to sort of bring that to the team, um, you know, very easygoing and, you know, medicine's on point and so on and so forth. Um, but then we start to have these crews developing where Carlo doesn't work every weekend. Carlo works every other weekend. Yeah. And Carlo doesn't work day shifts. Carlo works night shifts. Yep. So we were starting to find that, or I, at least I was starting to find that we were, I was starting to get, you know, I'm like, man, this, this place is fantastic. I got all the great <laughs> technicians. I got all the great support staff. This place really has its stuff together. And, you know, then it was like, oh, one third of the time. Right. You know, everyone else is sort of spread out. And, you know, I don't think it's necessarily appropriate to say the people who were on those off weekends, the doctors who were on those off weekends were um, uh, incapable. It's that they were unsupported. Right. And that that's a big differentiating and factor. That, and that support sourced yeah. likely yes. out of this bond spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where then when you start to have, because I mean, don't get me wrong, there are people who in, in the beginning did not like how I bond aligned. Mm -hmm. And me, I, I'm universal. I'm universal. I, right. I, I have I have a job to do. You're just more willing to be yes. on the lower end yes. than I think a lot of people are used to. Absolutely. I, I am I am equally as aligned on the low end as I am on the high end. Mm -hmm. Because for me, my bond attachment to a patient is exactly defined by the person coming through the door. Right. Is I'm going to work within the confines that this person has and recognize that the caregiver bringing the patient to our door wants the best for that animal by their definition. Now, I do believe that there's a certain amount of coaching. There's mm -hmm. a, you know, a certain amount of education. I think there's a certain amount of responsibility that we have as veterinarians to maybe sort of bring people into both directions. Maybe yeah. when you have a really, really high alignment for a baby, we need to sort of very gently remind them that, okay, well, I understand that you have a high anthropomorphization, but we do have to recognize that the confines we have in our profession and this sort of touches on to the lack of infrastructure in our service industry which that's a whole nother right area um we sort of need to remind them and saying well we don't have all of the luxuries that they actually have on the human side mm -hmm. so it's it, you kind of have to bring those up same thing from sort of the low and you have to kind of bring those up and saying well we actually do have more options and more opportunity than you are actually aware of and how you can care for patients yeah so it's actually kind of a, you try to sort of merge them in the middle but very much assuming that um, 
people need that help. And I think that's where, like I said, being um, sort of in, in my mind and saying you align how the person comes through the door is what you're you're basically trying to, you know, sort of empathize with their state and then doing the best that you can for that animal in that particular circumstance. It may not be perfect, but the world isn't. Well, the thing, it, like, just I, I hate to bring up a specific example because you know, very few people were there, but... I think we can use general variables that sure. the Great Dane that yep. came in a month ago and had the GDV. Sure. That you, uh, Kenny did yep. actually, yep. and you had helped him with. Yeah. I think you talked to her for at least a half an hour. Probably. At least. Because I, and I wasn't even the in the caregiver. room. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I wasn't even in the room, but I know how that conversation went because yeah. the first part of it was you listening to her. Absolutely. And, and being empathetic to the point of where do you align? Yep. Because you want to hold that neutral position yep. and just, yep, this is where you are. Yep. This is what's available within that that range of your tolerance within this spectrum, right? Correct. The second part of that conversation was, okay, here's what's available. Yep. The third part was, here's what you can predict thereafter. Because yep. he was, what, nine? Old. He was, he was yeah. older, especially for that size of yeah. an animal. Yep. 30 minutes. At least. Oh, and, yeah. And then there was a, a, a secondary conversation once we started to... Oh, absolutely. Get uh, diagnostic results. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, how many times does that happen? <laughs> like, and, and, yeah. and, it, and it's not even to say that you're, like, you were more aligned with her no. because it you weren't. It, no. it wasn't the point. No. So you take all of that, right? And, and then you say, like, because I personally, that's like, yep, that's how, that's the right way to do it. Yeah. You just, you go with what they're comfortable with. Yeah. If you have a full staff that's able to do that, yeah. ooh, that's dangerous. Yeah. That's dangerous because that sounds really effective. Yeah. Because everyone then can speak the same language. Yep. Yeah. But you have to get a direction from somebody yeah. without the full empathy on the front end like yeah. you had. Yeah. It's it's hard to do that. Yeah. It's just the, and I I'm I'm kind of just talking out of my ass yeah, here. No, no. I yeah. apologize, but no, it, it, no. it's it's cool that you're able to to take that one idea. Yeah. Of this alignment. Yeah. Within this with mm -hmm. and I think a lot of our communication outside it just in general yep. is is similar to this. Absolutely. Where it's how are we? How are you and I as human as just individuals aligned on this specific topic? Yeah. I have to listen to you to yep. understand where you are Absolutely. in alignment on this set of variables, and you have to listen to me also so that we're on the same page. Yep. So that's pretty but, much. But the how often? I mean, I don't. I don't want to just blame America, but I mean, how, how often does that actually happen in our current culture of our country? We we can't even have that discussion where I'm listening to you and you're listening to me on uh, body autonomy. We we can't even have that discussion on you know, a, 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 a global climate change. Right. We can't even have that discussion on, you know, really anything from a right standpoint. It's just everyone is like, this is what I think and this is what I have. And right. this is what I think and this is what I have. And it's like, but that's not, that is not how a society is built. That's not how a team is built. <laughs> this, you know? this is the quote that just drives me up a wall. This is my truth. Yes. That makes me right. Yes. It's like, nope, you can have that. <laughs> yes. I, I, but the comma and the stuff that comes thereafter, yeah. that's where I'm not okay with it. Yeah. So I think, you know, really when we start to talk about, um, you know, sort of the bond spectrum and so on and so forth, yep. um, you know, to really be able to say, I want to, I'm going to listen 
while you talk and you're going to listen while I talk mm-hmm. is, and understand each other, not just listen for the sake of replying. Right. I think, I think that's the big takeaway is that, I mean, really when we start to talk about fixing culture and how that integrates into the team um, is neutrality yeah. is I think with a certain amount of understanding, you have to remain neutral in saying, all right, I have to set myself aside. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things very, very early on um, when we first started developing core values, very, very early on in um, PAW, which I think would have been the first year or two, is we talked about checking your ego at the door. Mm-hmm. And part of it is, is while you are here for this time that you are in this business, the only thing that we ask you to do is be happy while you're here. Yeah. And I think for us to look at saying, you know, uh, rates of pay are well above national in, uh, standards, the, the benefits we give to the support staff are above standards. I mean, all these different things that we do, that's one part. Don't worry about your financial health while you're here because I can't have you thinking about your financial health while you're here. We have to be looking at ways to serve the patient. Same thing comes into then, um, you know, with the, the ego component in sort of the bond spectrum alignment is when you step outside of our door, do whatever you want. Fur baby, man's best friend, take yeah. whatever alignment you want when you're out of here. But in our environment, we have to maintain neutrality. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to make a, a certain level of comfort for any caregiver that comes through our, our our front door. We have to treat them with the same respect across the board because that's what they need. Mm-hmm. They, they don't need someone judging them because they're already in, again, like we said before, they're concerned because of finances, they're concerned because of the health of their patient, whatever they're, con- they're concerned about that day. You know, maybe they got some stuff going on with their kids it doesn't matter mm-hmm. the reality is is that they all need to be treated as equals when they come through and um that doesn't always work and I, I think it doesn't work for a few reasons is it doesn't always work for caregivers some people do not like to be treated like equals i i, I have come across that multiple times where yeah. they don't want they they want to feel special they want to feel like they are somehow more important than everyone else in the lobby Everyone mm-hmm. else who's there of equal importance, they mm-hmm. want to feel that. Um, same thing goes for when we have doctors, we have medical support, we have caregiver support, we have you know, uh, every, you know technic, technical support. Um, when they come in, I want to be more important than everybody. Mm-hmm. And this is then leading into that third bubble of disparagement is it's I'm going to be more important because look at how much debt I have. Oh yeah. You know, look at me. I got student (laughs) loan debt. You know, I have, maybe I own the place and I have business debt. I'm having a new building. I have business debt. Look at how important I am because I am actually more important than any of my other veterinarians because look at how much debt I have. And I've taken on this risk, which no other risk, no no one else has taken on this risk. So you need to treat me differently Mm -hmm. because of my debt. Hold me in higher regard because of the decisions I've made that have put me backwards. Exactly. And I think then we say, okay, well, what's, you know, so that's disparagement. So I hold me on a higher pedestal and I'm going to look down on you and anything that you say is less worthy than me. But one of the favorite things I, I heard was uh, the same thing comes through the specialty side. Okay. So when you start to uh, uh, look at um, people who then they get your doctor of veterinary medicine or a veterinary uh, medical doctor degree, depending on what school you went to, is... Um, you get that, and then you go on to internship, you go on to residency, and then now you're an internist, now you're a board-certified surgeon, now you're a dermatologist, now you're an ophthalmologist, you know, whatever happens to be, this is who you are now. You have advanced degree beyond just your standard uh, veterinary degree to then become a specialist. Mm-hmm. So in disparagement, I mean, a portion of disparagement is actually what happens through the university level. We talk about getting, you know, the, the hurricane, right? So, I mean, they're the tornado is the first part of that windstorm is you getting through your training curriculum. Mm-hmm. And part of that disparagement is 
highly based in hierarchy. I am a specialist. I am more important than you. I have been here. I have the degree. I have the knowledge. And with that knowledge comes power. So it's not just, oh, you know, I need, I am in higher regard because of my debt. I am in higher regard because I hold the information. You need to come to me for answers. You cannot treat a, a heart case unless you go to a cardiologist. You cannot do an ultrasound unless you're a radiologist. You cannot treat this unless you are an endocrinologist, blah, 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 blah. So part of that disparagement then happens at the university level where it's like, oh, well, I'm more important because I have more information. And if I have more information and knowledge, I have more power. So now anyone who deals with me, they know less than I do. Mm -hmm. So the technicians know less than I do. I am of higher esteem because I have more information. And that's what we're taught is we're actually taught disparagement. And it's saying, so now you come into a group. So now we're talking about the whole bond spectrum. Now we're coming into a group where as a doctor, you have a failed bond spectrum alignment with your team, but you are held in higher regard because you've been taught disparagement because now you're the veterinarian and the whole staff needs to listen to me because that's who I am and I have this degree and I have this power. Mm -hmm. And one of my one of my favorite things was I had heard um, there was a um, it was a university level um, there was a um, doctor who was a specialist um, who then as uh, I think one of one of the other heads of the rotation was a twice specialist they had both emergency degree um, and an even I think an internal medicine or something like that they basically had two specialties and the, the clinician who had two specialties um, was standing there next to the doctor with one specialty and they were working with um, a veterinary student yep. and the veterinary student had called the one specialty doctor by her first name name and she was like "Ugh, how dare you i have a specialist degree you will call me doctor so-and-so i have earned the right of saying you call me doctor interesting so then the one degree doctor to the two degree doctor said hey tim can you um do this for me you know da, da, da. and he looked right to her and said i have gained two degrees so in what world do you think you with one can talk to me and I have two. And she just sort of sat there like, oh my God. And he looked right to the student and said, all of us here can be talked to by first name. It ended well. And it was right there. I was like, that is what I'm talking about, yeah. about an environment where we teach this innate disparagement. But you need someone to be like, you know what? I got the power and I'm willing to wield that power because I'm going to invest in you as an individual. And it was right then, right yeah. then I said that that is what I'm talking about, the profession. Uh -huh. That is when we start to talk about disparagement and that is the fix. Yeah. And that's why when we start to talk about disparagement and when you look at sort of our, our three, um, you know, three hex problem, that's why disparagement is so close in our, in our triangle to the talent region is yeah. because in that talent region, Disparagement is a huge thing. We get it so early in our career that we're that there's a significant amount of disparagement. But then it, all of it bleeds together. All of it bleeds into this failed spectrum alignment between what you're what you're taught yourself and you're important because you have this degree. You're important because you have this debt. You're important because you have the knowledge. You're important because you have this. But then you jump into a team where we you know the whole bond spectrum alignment we've been talking about has been the human animal bond. Right. But really then we start to talk about like the in that particular spectrum, there's then going to be the informational spectrum. So then it's, you know, from a veterinarian who has the most amount of training 
to a caregiver who has no training because they're an animal caregiver right. to then say we're making assumptions in that whole spectrum of information and power where on the veterinary side, it's like I am the one who's holding all of this information and you need to get this information from me, but you know what? I'm probably gonna look down upon you if you ask me questions. Mm -hmm. It's like, ugh, stop wasting my time with this. I don't have the time to answer that question. You should know that. You should know that heartworm preventative needs to be given in dogs year round. You should know that ectoparasite control are these options. You should know that your dog should be spayed and neutered. You should know, you should know, you should know, you should know. But I don't have the time to teach you. You should know how to manage a diabetic, but I don't have a lot of time to really talk about all of diabetes between um, you know, uh, twice a year urine testing to blood checks to fructosamine to glucose curves to spot glucose checks to insulin administration to clinical signs to look for. I'm gonna tell you about that in 20 minutes um, and then that should be as much time as you need because now you know. So I align much closer on the education side to the caregiver side. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm getting closer to the yeah, middle. Yeah, you're pulling in, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just set up a whole lot of words. Yeah. No idea no what idea. any of that means. No idea. It would take me a hell of a lot yep. longer than 20 minutes to mm -hmm. understand that, Absolutely. even at, a, at an, at an elementary level. Elementary level. So so what happens? Uh, Google. Mm -hmm. So if, if you are, let's talk about Ponsartrum. You are a caregiver who aligns very, very high. Mm -hmm. uh, fur baby, this is my child. I want to know everything that I can to take care of this animal. But you are maybe in a, in a clinic where they don't have the time, they don't have the service, they don't have the attachment, you're asking too many questions, and people go online. I, I have people who come through my door and they you know, sit in an exam room. Like I said, 30, 30 minutes is a pretty common yep. average yep. first consultation time for me. Yep. And I go through my clinical history and you know, we kind of sift out a few things and they say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I... I went online um, and I kind of did some research on, on this. And I'm like, perfect, what did you find? Mm -hmm. and, and they kind of look at me and I'm like, yes. If you, I said, if you are a person who is trying to self-educate for the betterment of your own knowledge and the betterment of your patient, you are exactly who I want to be working with. And your, but your thought pattern on that yeah. is completely backwards from the industry. <laughs> right. I, I shouldn't yeah. say the, but yeah. just individuals. Yeah. Because how many, I mean, I posted the thing the other day just yeah. as a joke. It's right. like paging Dr. Google, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it cause even it, in our own team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's so hard because yeah. like I did all of this work. Yeah. I've been taught yeah. so long yeah. to be the one source of information. Yeah. And when you walk in and you're, you're just trying you're to the, overtake me. Right. You're right. just trying to be smarter than yes, me. Yes, you are. Yeah, and stop. Listen, you, you, who did you get that information from? Mm -hmm. You got that information from your breeder. You, you got that information from what website? You know, it's like, stop. No. Okay. What information did you? And this is what I, this is what I say to people. I say, perfect. What information did you get? Because I'm going to help you sift through the stuff that is and is not true. Mm -hmm. And they kind of look at me. They're like, oh, I had never considered the stuff that I got wasn't true. Perfect. Here's what I found. And then then, then there's a little bit of a ballet. You say, oh, well, that was true about 30 years ago. So mm -hmm. it's not wrong. It was just true right. a couple decades outdated. ago. It's outdated. Mm -hmm. So that's then, you know, this is, I think, all you know, part of the conversation is, is what did we then do? We took two and a half years to develop our caregiver resources. One-page documents that contain pretty much the nuts and bolts of everything you need to know to manage a disease. And I say there's two ways people are going to use care. Well, there's <laughs> there's three ways people are going to use caregiver resources. Caregiver resources, we're going to print them off, we're going to throw them away. Yeah. There's, there's one. Yep. Um, the other end of the spectrum is they're going to take it and they're going to use it as the framework 
for their own self-education. Mm-hmm. Take this paper, know that we've put years into developing these, and it's the nuts and bolts. Take, take bullet point one. Take four hours to educate yourself on bullet point one. Use this as a roadmap, yeah. right? Um, and then there's going to be the people right in the middle where they're like, yeah, this is perfect. <laughs> this is exactly what I need. So when am I coming back? Okay, perfect. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of times how I conclude conversations when, I mean, um, you know, just, just the other day, uh, just, yeah, two days ago, three days ago, um, I had a patient through who foreign body patient with a uh, corn cob, corn cob. Yep. I, I did a, uh, I had to take out six inches of intestine, got the corn cob out. Mm-hmm. And in that particular consultation, it was, guess what I found out? That dog has allergic skin disease, it has food allergies, environmental allergies, it has chronic inflammatory bowel issues, which are probably related to a dietary hypersensitivity. You know, we talked about some of the old wives' tales, and it was the 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 owning caregiver and her two parents there. And they were just there for a foreign body consult. I could have just been in and out. It's like, yeah. yep, your dog probably ate this and it probably has an obstruction, but that's not what they paid for. They paid for a physical examination consultation. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Like what's the, one of the f- primary questions I get on the front end, especially over the phone when I yep. say what our medical exam fee is, yep. is what do I get out of that? Yeah. The first thing I say is you get a highly educated veterinarian to answer all of your questions. Absolutely. And some of those questions you do have to be tactful in like get, cause some of them are crazy. Like you just have to get away from some of the, like the really, let's just table that question for right, right. now. Let's focus right. on the more important things at hand. So there mm-hmm. are times, but I would say the vast majority of the population, they actually have all the same questions all the time. Yeah. For the most part, you get a vomiting patient in, they're going to ask you the same 30 questions. It happens every single time. I, I, you know, and, and so what I have done over the years is that like for me, uh, what's the definition of insanity? Um, doing, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Thank you. Yes. So over the years, it's like, I don't want to keep getting asked this question every single time I have a vomiting consultation. So now I just include the answer in my pitch. Yeah. I say, you know what? And they say, I get some history from them and I said, just give me, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I say, please interrupt me at any time. But based on the information I acquired over the last 15 to 20 minutes, I have some things and physical exam is going to come into this and I'm going to kind of pitch some things together. Um, and then at the end of it, I say, do you have any questions? And the biggest compliment is no. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, the, the one gentleman with this corn cob patient, he, he thought dogs, um, ate grass before it rained. Like that, that oh. was his big thing. He like, that is just, I mean, the guy, the guy was like 55 years old. Like he was under the impression that dogs ate grass when it rained. I was like, well, it's a nonspecific sign for abdominal pain and discomfort, which is most often related to gastrointestinal upset, but it's not because they, it's going to rain outside, <laughs> you know? So, but, but you know, that was one of those things where as we had kind of gotten through the whole part of it, um, they came back when they came to discharge and the guys like we breed dogs and the daughter and they're like, we're going to start bringing all of our animals here because that was the most immaculate consultation we've ever had with any veterinarian ever. Yeah. And it was like, well, yeah, I mean, I deal a lot with vomiting and diarrhea patients. So I got a lot to say about vomit and diarrhea and maybe I'm just vomiting and diarrhea in words all the time, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but you know, the takeaway is that it is that it's it's part of recognizing bond alignment, and a part of it is that we have to break this cycle of disparagement. Right. We have to break this knowledge as power. We have to understand that none of us in practice did any of the research for any of the data that we have. We just paid to learn it. Yeah. So that's the only difference between me and you and someone else is we just paid to learn this knowledge. And the, the funny thing that I think about debt is that debt never dictates income. No. You know, it's just because you're in the debt, you know, 200,000, half a million, 3 million, 4 million, whatever it is, that doesn't dictate 
how much you can make. It doesn't dictate how well you do a consultation. It doesn't dictate how you can conduct yourself from a business standpoint. It's we're talking about customer service. Right. We're, we're not talking about disparagement, but um, but when you start to look at all those pieces, you start to look at the ununified profession between the caregivers coming in and the staff to the staff not being unified amongst themselves to integrating in new staff who isn't aligned with what the clinic is to then saying that administratively we're failing to engage caregivers appropriately on their bond spectrum we're failing to engage our staff on their spectrum alignment you know and then all in all what's thrown on top of it is that those people who have the most amount of knowledge are taught in an environment with the most amount of disparagement yeah. and it trickles down yeah and that is single-handedly those three things can explain every problem culturally that we have in our profession